So without a name, um, the, our prompt was what are, our, what are our notions of studio, home, and identity in the global art world? Um, artists Richard Mudariki, Miata Kawinzi, and Desania Cruz will engage in a conversation drawing on the experiences of working across cultural and geographic boundaries. Um, and the panel's moderator is Siddhartha Mehta. Um, Siddhartha Mehta's recent writing has appeared in the New York Times, Art Forum, um, and Art in America, and other outlets. Uh, his uh, piece on Colleen Smith is the latest cover of Art Forum, and it's really exciting. Um, his work addresses artistic practice in the context of globalization, urban change, and the politics of race and class. Recently, uh, Siddhartha has reported on contemporary art events and cultures in Lagos, Dakar, Casablanca, and New York City. No, we want people to know, we're waiting for you to go to Harare, Zimbabwe. Uh, and uh, he was also the 2017 recipient of the Creative Capital Warhol Foundation Arts Writers Grant um, and is an adjunct faculty member in art writing MFA program at SVA. Um, it's really important, uh, your biography, because of how you're circulating in the art world and occupying the space as a writer, looking at the visual, coming from a journalist background, and um, we really want to emphasize your practice as well. So thank you so much for being here and leading our conversation. Great. Uh, do you want to introduce our panelists? Um, you can introduce the panelists. I need the... Uh... Okay, good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for being here. It's a pleasure to be at 154, the great art fair in town. It's a pleasure to be surrounded by these wonderful photographs by Paul Kojo from Abidjan, one of my favorite cities um, from uh, the 1970s when people were still having economic miracles. I don't know if anybody has any economic miracles anymore. This is kind of out of, out of, out of style. Um, Nancy is right. Uh, places, uh, who we are, where we are, do matter. Um, and so I will read the bios of our participants today. Um, before I do that, just to throw a couple of ideas on the table. We were, this theme of this conversation is location and working between spaces. Uh, I don't think there is a single person who is going to walk through this fair at any time over the course of this weekend who is not in some ways implicated by this question of working and operating between spaces. Uh, it is, uh, you know, whether you want to call it uh, uh, displacement, whether you want to call it being global. Uh, I once had a, a corporate boss in an old incarnation who insisted on coining the word globality. It was horrible, but because he was paying, because he was paying us, we couldn't we couldn't say no to him. Whether it's uh, uh, diasporicity, uh, we're all implicated in it, and uh, the 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 diversi the diversification and access to more and more art world centers, cultural centers, places becoming centers, notions of center and periphery beginning to. Uh, attenuate, uh, puts us all in a, in, in a position where we have opportunities to be in many places and also constraints because we can't be in every place at once and sometimes we have deeper constraints than that. So we were thinking about um, location and the location of the self. You know, that question of like, well, where do you consider home? You know, but that, there is a good question. Like where, where, where is the self located at any given time? The location of the work. 
galleries, fairs, collectors, media outlets, institutions, funders, etc., and the web around the world that those push us and force us into or invite us into, and the location of others, because ultimately we're all making work not just for ourselves and for one another, but for a public uh, imagined, sometimes known and touched, sometimes beyond our control. And so as we go for the presentations from our, uh, our distinguished artists here, uh, I've invited them to think a little bit about those levels of location, the location of self, the location of work, and the location of others afterwards in which, of course, we would like to make this very much a conversation. This implicates all of us, and we will invite not only questions, but also comments, because comments are sometimes where the feelings and the responses are, though we will also cut people off if they if they become, as my Nigerian friends, if they become unfortunate. <laughs> so with that said, um, I am going to introduce, uh, from distant to close, we have uh, Richard Mudariki, who studied under the mentorship of renowned painters, Helen Leros and Greg Shaw in Harare, and is now based in Cape Town, uh, and has been there for quite some time, I think. Uh, I was recently in Cape Town for the first time, so. I'm still working through those impressions. Uh, he has had several solo shows to date, including a mid-career retrospective uh, organized by Sanlam Bank in Cape Town in 2017. Most recently, his work has been included in Five Bob, a very interesting painting, uh, exhibition that's been up at the Zeitz Mocha, uh, presenting something like 28, I think, uh, contemporary painters, broadly, broadly understood, from, from Zimbabwe. Uh, his work is included in numerous collections, including Easy Coast South African National Gallery in Cape Town, the Bruce Campbell Smith Collection in Cape Town, and the Museum of Modern Art in Equatorial Guinea. Malabo, did you go? Not yet. Not yet, okay. Um, and he is in uh, booth B20, the Barnard Gallery. Uh, I'm going to do all the introductions now like that. We can be smooth when we, when we go. Uh, in the middle, we have Miata Koinzi, who's a multidisciplinary artist, writer, and educator working with images, objects, sound, space, the body, and language to explore practices of reimagining the self, identity, and culture through abstraction and poetics. She's born and raised in the US, but of Kenyan and Liberian heritage and based in New York. Uh, exhibitions for her work have included uh, at Brick here in Brooklyn, well, in Brooklyn where I live, pardon me. <laughs> Brooklyn. Um, and, and at the Studio Museum in Harlem and at the Joburg Art Fair in South Africa. She has an, M an MFA in studio art from Hunter College, and she has had residencies at spaces like the Cité Internationale des Arts in Paris. I saw the, I saw the tote bag. Um, the Lower Manhattan uh, Cultural Center, the Bag Factory in Joburg, and the Bennis Center for Contemporary Arts in Omaha, Nebraska. And right here to my right is Lisania Cruz, who is a Dominican participatory artist and designer who's interested in how migration affects ways of being and belonging. And through research on oral history and audience participation, you've been warned, she creates projects that highlight a pluralistic narrative about migration. Lisanya has been an artist in residence and fellow at the Laundromat Project, which is a wonderful long-term venture here in New York City, uh, which you may be talking about, I don't know. Um, the Agora Collective in Berlin, the Design Trust for Public Space, and Recess Session, uh, most recently. And her work has been shown at the Arlington Arts Center, the Bronx Art Space, Project for Empty Space, um, Art Center South Florida, Jenkins Johnson Project Space in Brooklyn, the August Wilson Center, 
the Sharjah Design Biennial, and Untitled Art Miami, among others. And she's been featured in Hyperallergic, Fuse News, KQND, and The New York Times. Um, so with that said, I'm going to invite, have you all decided who's going first? Miata. Miata is going to go first. Um, please, take us to your locations. Um, well, welcome, and thank you all again so much for being here, and thank you for the invitation as well. Um, so my name is Miata Kowinsi, and um, let's see. Okay, um, so you touched on this in the introduction, um, but you know the fact that I, my mother is from Liberia, my father is from Kenya, and I was born and raised moving around in the South um, influences the way that I think about space in my work and sort of having these different cultural inheritances that I work through, and then also more and more finding myself um, thankfully getting opportunities to travel for my work through residencies and work in different spaces and reflect on how identity changes dependent on place and space. Um, and so I'm just gonna kind of go through a few projects kind of briefly, but feel free to sort of follow up in the discussion. Um, but some of the questions, my work is very much inquiry-based. And so I'm always sort of thinking about how the external world affects the internal world and seeking to reflect on that. In my practice, um, a lot of my work has a lot of research that goes into it, but then I'm interested in sort of abstracting it or thinking about how, um, you know, these different ways that, let's say, identity is construction, the affective, and how that becomes um, the way that I work with it is how that becomes performative or reflected on through the performative. Um, and so this is um, a body of work that I made in Johannesburg during a residency at the Bag Factory. Um, and one thing that I was very much thinking about there and in other places as well, but the idea of how space and society is regulated. So what are the physical sort of manifestations that that takes? Um, and so I started by kind of just taking these photographs. These are like cell phone photographs of the barbed wire fencing that um, is everywhere is here as well, but um, that seemed a bit more pronounced there. Um, and then also kind of being interested in, um, one, what it means, but also the forms themselves. Um, and so I began to sort of reinterpret those through these works on paper. Um, and then also through these sculptural pieces that were made from copper wire. But the goal was kind of to think about something that is a barrier or that closes off a space, but how to kind of open it up so you can see it's almost like the wire is sort of falling apart. There's this possibility of movement through. Um, so it's a little hard to see on here, but these are images of that installed at the bag factory. And that's a close-up, so you can kind of see some of that detailing um, of the barbed wire form. And then I also work with video and, and text and sort of breaking up text and language. Um, and so this was, you know, thinking about the landscape in a different way as more opened and wanting to also have that be a compliment. Um, and then this body of work called Beauvoir or Power um, was made last year during a residency in Paris. 
Um, and I started off by doing a lot of research into, um, I was thinking a lot about the different parts of the African diaspora that are present in the city and different waves of migration from, you know, countries formerly colonized by the French in West Africa and the Caribbean, also the African American, you know, population that has gone there from the U.S. and the ways in which, you know, everyone had different kind of battles that they were fighting. Um, and so thinking about this idea of you know, how people were experiencing alienation and belonging. Um, it's a very big idea that I would like to be able to get further into, but as sort of a beginning part of that process. So, you know, how that um, manifests in this idea of like mobility as being able to be accessed or not. Um, I feel like, Sirata, you touched on, you know, that there are these different constraints at the same time that affect our mobility, and I think that's important to remember. Um, and then I began thinking about this notion of entanglement alongside that. And so I started making these hanging sculptures from um, taking apart and putting back together yarn. Um, so this material that kind of links things um, and doing these performative gestures with those. Um, and then that turned into a video installation that was at Brick last summer, so this is an image of that. Um, a video still to kind of get a sense of how I was working with. Um, this is another body of work called Sweat TRC that was made from an experience in Puerto Rico, um, a walking seminar through a space called Beta Local, and here I was very much thinking about, um, you know, Puerto Rico is such a kind of contested space in many ways, and it's still a colony of the United States. Um, and so there's a sense of, you know, people go there for vacation, it's like a paradise, but it also has a lot of um, disenfranchisement, poverty, and um, places that are closed off to folks that actually live there. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, this idea of like mobility again and, um, as an artist, I often occupy a financially precarious space, but at the same time, I have a lot of freedom of movement with this US passport. And so, you know, sort of wanting to, that's always something that I'm also thinking about. Um, and so this is a video still from that, the skin still standing, thinking about different kinds of orientation and breaking up language again. And this is heavy, sort of overlaid on footage of the ocean. Um, an image of this installed. And this was installed at Hampshire College Art Gallery, which is where I went to undergrad, so it was nice to go back for this. But um, the video was taken in from a hammock, and so this idea of suspension was also important to the way that the piece was experienced. Um, and then I as well did a text piece on the window, so wanting to sort of bridge the inside and outside in that way. Um, and this is clay, which was a piece I made in Cape Town <laughs> when I was at Great Moore Studios. I just missed you, I think, <laughs> um, which was an amazing experience. But you know, there I was very much interested in language and 
and you know, as you know, Cape Town is a city with so many different languages spoken in it. So navigating that, trying to pick up a little of something here and there, um, but also thinking about language, you know, as material. And so using this raffia as kind of like um, a way in which this intangible concept became tangible. Um, and would like to just play, these are other stills, a quick clip so you can get a sense of how the images move <laughs> and the sound, which I also create. Um, and then. like to do, if it's okay, um, while we have these images in our mind, I'd like to ask you just a couple of micro, you know, a little micro interview, just a couple of, of questions that are specific to what we've just seen to kind of prime the conversation, and hopefully we can do that for each of you. The first thing I wanted to ask you, and I've, I, I'm just going to give you two of them. Um, first of all, uh, you mentioned in passing, as you were introducing your life story, the South and having placeness for anyone who engages with this country, whether as a citizen, a visitor, uh, a traveler. And I wonder if you could just speak very quickly about what the South has been like for you or what from the South you perhaps carry with you as you go along. Yes. <laughs> um, no, it's important because I think, you know, um, I would say that there's such a strong um, black American culture in the communities that I grew up in in the South that has very much influenced um, my work in terms of the way that I think about language and like seek to sort of elevate um, vernacular 
language, for instance, um, and also in terms of like different musical histories and the way that I work with sound, thinking about blues and spirituals. And you know this idea of, like this idea of emotion that I'm so interested in, how that kind of permeates a lot of the cultural production from the South um, and spiritualism. Um, and so, it's something that I'm still kind of like parsing through and recognizing, I think as well, the more time that I spend outside of it and then in going back and sort of being able to trace origins of things more um, clearly, so yeah. And the second question I wanted to ask you, I was struck just from the very beginning of the first image that you showed in the presentation was the barbed wire. Yeah. Uh, and then we also saw tangles, we saw words disposed, in, in space, uh, we saw um, wire, we saw uh, these strips, and it got me thinking about, you know, the line and, and how maybe how we, the default way that we think of our own lives when they are not just in one place is we kind of trace ourselves on a map and I was here, and then I went here, and went here, and went here, or then I stayed here, and things got a little tangled up, and, and then I, I came out. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have a drawing practice? Mm -hmm. And, and what's, what's your relationship to the line? Yeah, well, I appreciate that question very much, because I actually, a lot of the time, ideas start as drawings, but I don't necessarily always show them. And so, you know, you pick up on it, but, um, yeah, and more and more, and this is just an image of my most recent project that I just did in Detroit, but um, which is also kind of working with line through um, these sculptures that I sewed together and then projected through. But more and more I think about line as tangles and think about tangles as um, something that doesn't have to be um, shied away from, like, I don't know, I feel like there's this idea that if something is a tangle, then you have to straighten it out. But it's like, what if we just rest with that tangle? What if we just sort of rest with maybe the confusion? You know, what can come out of that? And so that's kind of the way that I am dealing with it right now. Right, Alexander the Great saw a knot and he cut it, right? <laughs> but he was an imperialist, so. Right. <laughs> All right. knots. Okay. Sure. I just, okay. Uh, so yeah, um, thank you everyone for coming. Um, I, I'm gonna share a little bit about um, where I'm from, my practice, and how it relates to this in-between spaces, um, and share four projects and how it relates to that idea. So I am originally raised and born in the Dominican Republic. Um, and some historians think it was called Quisqueya, but um, I migrated to the US when I was 21. But if you live in New York, you definitely have met one of us. You have some connection with a Dominican somehow. Um, the census, I think it was 2010, said that 1.5 million Dominicans live in New York alone. 
alone, um, and there's 10 million of Dominicans in the DR, so just to give you a context. And um, with that in mind, I always had a connection with New York. This was me the first time I came to New York City. I was like seven or eight, um, and I was fascinated with the city. Uh, it was also my first time ticketing, so it was, uh, I, w I wanted to come to New York, and uh, when I was a teenager, my dad moved to New York, and I was uh, visiting during the summer. So the goal was to come here and study art, but um, unfortunately, I had like very traditional Dominican parents that didn't quite understand what art meant. So um, it took me a while, around two years, to convince them, and I ended up going to a school in the DR called Altos de Chabon. And I, the reason I bring this up is because I think like since that moment, I've been kind of like working between these two spaces. Um, I went to Chabon to be a painter, and uh, then um, on my second year, I, um, I started to be in the fine arts course and realized that I didn't like the studio courses as much. Uh, so I changed my degree to be a graphic designer. So I'm originally trained as a graphic designer. And um, after years of practicing graphic design, I realized that I just didn't have a model of the kind of artist that I really wanted to be. And um, I think like uh, most uh, recently I've been and just like absorbing this idea of participatory art and um, this quote that Claire Bishop starts her book, Artificial Hells, that talks about all, all artists are alike. They dream of doing something that's more social, more collaborative, and more real than art, really speaks to my practice. So um, I'm not a studio artist, although I have a studio, um, but I'm really looking at the object as a way to archiving the experience. So I'm really um, working in between this idea of what's the object, what's the archive. I'm also um, very much interested in how the audience is like a co-creator of the work as well. So blurring the lines between who's the audience, who's the author, right? And thinking uh, through of like where does my work live? Um, I have a lot of, you know, like, things around the white cube and the institutions and also understand that as artists we have to live in those spaces but really thinking of how I could bring the work into the public and by the public I mean like a sidewalk or a space that creates access to all and um, more like recently I've been concerned of like this idea of like splitting the one narrative into more of a pluralistic narrative and how can we have all different perspectives in the space. So because of that, my studio really sometimes often looks like a spreadsheet and I was encouraged by Susan Lacey when she showed a spreadsheet and I was like, yes, I can't wait to do this in a talk. <laughs> so because I am really just in the studio creating frameworks to find out community partners, to find out who I'm going to invite to the project and really creating like the timeline for the entire project. So I'm not really making objects in in the studio per se. Um, so how does this look in the work? Um, I've always been fascinated by flowers and um, 
I found out this statistic that 70% of the flowers that we buy in New York City are not grown and let's say they're not native even of New York City. So um, as I was buying flowers in bodegas, I was having conversations with the food, uh, workers. And uh, you know, in 2016, Trump was running for president. So I was really trying to figure out how to bring these voices into the conversation. And what I did was that I invited um, a series of undocumented bodega flower workers to make a flower arrangement for Donald Trump. And uh, while, I, while they were making the arrangements, I was creating interviews of why they pick the flowers that they pick, what they wish that Trump knew, um, sort of like archiving their voices, because oftentimes these folks cannot go out and protest for their rights. So um, for me, really the, oops, going back, one, one. Okay, got it. So for me, um, this project, um, and this, this idea reiterates in all of my work, but um, I think that this project specifically, the object is just like an archive. So the images become uh, portraits of the folks I interview. And when I show it in the gallery setting or in like the white cube setting, um, I show the I show the images, but as well as the interviews of if each of the portraits. Um, I'm also a fan of Stuart Hall, and because I think that um, I believe in this idea that identity is not fixed, and we, I, I also really love and admire his honesty around how his views change after moving to London, and I think that that really resonates with me. So I was looking at ways that we could archive this shift in identity. Um, so I created this project that was called Here and There, and it was for, oh, there you go, it works. Um, it was for a show called Familiar Boundaries, Infinite Possibilities in Pittsburgh in the August Wilson Center. And we needed, we needed to document participation before the show. So what I did was I created a website that was just like a public form that people could fill out the blank and say, here I am blank, there I am blank. And that statement could change for I am or can be. So this idea of how, how identity has shifted as we move in through places. And how this look in the gallery space was that with those statements, um, I print, I silkscreen it and created like a series of flags. And the flags would um, increase throughout the the extension of the exhibition. And as well as that, in the space, people could trace their migration route um, in this large hand-drawn uh, map and place their migration uh, route with thread and with two stickers that establish their here and there. I was also very um, frustrated with the way that the immigration narrative was being portrayed in the news. Um, so right now, everyone was talking about immigrants, everyone's, and we seem to be all alike. We seem to be all coming from the same place. And I was wondering how, uh, what would it would look like if we created our own news and created our own narrative? So um, this is a project that I started uh, 
as an artisan resident at the Laundromat Project, um, which it is an amazing organization <laughs> in New York. And um, basically, and I partner with the Black Alliance for Just Immigration and uh, collaborated with one of their main organizers, Albert Jean St. Jane's. And this is a project that um, it really was shaped by the partnership. Um, through the partnership with Baji, it became a project that was really looking at the narratives of black immigrants and first generation black Americans. And uh, really looking at what does blackness mean globally um, and what does blackness mean once you move to the US. So the approach was uh, we organized a series of story circles where uh, 10 to 15 people would come together and share their stories. Uh, the stories were prompted by ideas of identity, migration path, and race. And I uh, documented and transcribed those stories and edited them in, in collaboration with each of the participants. And after that created a series of zines that um, were then lived in a traveling newsstand and really looking at having the newsstand and having these stories reclaim this public space. So um, the newsstand has Blackbush and uh, in other cities like Miami and in Pittsburgh. And really with this project, I have been really contested with this idea of working between the gallery and working into the public space. So um, the project was part of a show in uh, the Art Center South Florida, and uh, the show was called Parallels and Peripheries. And um, there I realized that when the newsstand was at the White Cube, it was somewhat dormant. It wasn't um, very activated. Um, and the, this is, again, going back to this idea, what do we do when we, as artists, have to work in between these spaces and contest the work in that way? And the last project I'll talk about is uh, my, um, I just finished a residency at Recess, and I, I often feel that during the immigration narrative, we talk a lot about the contribution of immigrants here in the US. And we talk also about how we are taking jobs from other folks here. But we forget that we have connections with our home country. And um, last year, uh, remittances, which is the cash transfers that immigrants send home, acquainted like around $5 billion. That is like an insane amount. That's just the U.S. alone. And uh, international and development aid, it's around $162 million, billion, according to the World Bank uh, last year. So I was interested in talking and having this conversation about the power that we have, not only here, but in our home country. Um, and the way I did that was I asked, I asked, invited everyone, either if you were an immigrant, not an immigrant, anyone that came into the gallery space to leave a receipt. And pretty much because the project is looking at the value of the dollar here versus the value of the dollar there. So people would leave a receipt in this little receipt holders and, um, and put what the amount that they 
they spent, what did they spend it on, and their name. And after that, I was creating a series of collages that were comparing that amount the amount that was spent here to the amount that that could buy of one of the crops in one of the 15 countries that received more remittances. And to give you an idea, places like Haiti, remittances encompasses 32% of their GDP. So for instance, in like the, the first one on the side collage here, um, that receipt was one popcorn that someone bought in a movie theater and it was $5, and then that encompassed 13 kilos of corn in Honduras. So it was really looking at um, how can we have this conversation and open the narrative around like, we don't, how this is like a dual and we live between these spaces. Um, and this is what the gallery uh, space looked like. And it was an ongoing project and a collaboration with organizers, researchers. Um, I collaborated with an economist. And it was really about bringing all these different narratives. Thank you, Lisanya. A couple of questions for you. Um, very struck by what you said that the, the, the studio is a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet is a studio. And I think probably a lot of people can relate to that. Um, but it's a new way of working. It's a way of working that we couldn't do before the spreadsheet was around and yeah. before the tools were around that we could carry a spreadsheet around you know, with us on a tablet or, or a computer. And so I wonder uh, if we can think a little bit about what it means that we can carry the, the studio, the space, with us. Uh, we can take it to the public. We can be you know, on the sidewalk and you can boot up your laptop and you can do something with it, but you also kind of need to bring it to some places to show and to do, and to do work like this. Um, and I wonder what kind of labor that is and, 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 and how, how, we, how we can do that labor and use those tools, those technology tools, things like spreadsheets, which are in many ways like instruments of control uh, for liberation. Damn, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's the only way I think, and be, and, but what kind of labor that I, that is? I think that it really have to shift the framework of what is art. And I often feel like right now we are at a fair, and um, we operate within like the global art market, and I often feel that. There's no much like models around like how do we bring the studio into the sidewalk? Like places like the Laundromat Project are really looking at what does that look like? How how does that how does the studio is part of like a laundromat, for instance, in the public space? But also, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it does. I mean, it point, it points to the role of of, of forming spaces, yeah. making spaces that are hybrids. Um, and not just something that we have to carry on our back like a tortoise, but that we can actually do, we can actually do in, in, in community. The other question I want to ask you is, um, you know, yes, you're, you're a Dominicana and, and you're a New Yorker, and that's, there's a whole kind of body of identity that we can kind of ascribe to you around it, and if we live in New York and have been here long enough and so on, we might not be completely wrong with it. But 
doing work that encourages people creatively to think about where they are from and being comfortable with themselves and empowered in themselves is different when they have one of those links to share with you, like they are perhaps in the DR or perhaps New Yorkers, than when you're in Pittsburgh or you're in any of the other places you're mentioned or you're inviting somebody who is of in, an Indian American, I hope seen the flags yeah. on, on that. And, and so your own position as the, the orchestrator is, is, is different when the person can relate to you in a very immediate way. Oh, she's from Brooklyn. Oh, she's from, yeah. you know, the DR. And how do you kind of integrate those things? Um, it's interesting that you point that out because I was just recently um, co-hosting a, a panel with a good friend of mine that is, uh, she runs a project called Press Press and I really encourage everyone to look at what they do in Baltimore. Uh, Press Press, yeah. And we in time did a panel that was around the politics of differences and um, oftentimes how we, you know, if you're a participatory artist or a community artist, we are told that we need to be part of that community. We, that's like our first connection, which I think is true, but we often don't create those connections on differences. Um, in Pittsburgh, I might be Dominican and not have like a straight connection to um, some folks from the DR there, but I have experiences that are shared. And for instance, um, as an example, in and um, like in Miami, one of the people that came through the newsstand, it was Cuban descent. And um, we had like a conversation around Afro-Latinidad and it doesn't necessarily have to be around the immediate connections. It has to be around like the experiences that we all share as humans. And yeah, I think that I'm trying to explore more of that notion of of course, I'm an immigrant and I immediately have the connection. But oftentimes, I also have differences on socioeconomic status, on like legal status, and I'm working with those folks as well. So I think it's really looking at how can you build on like the shared human experiences. Thank you. Richard. I'm gonna sit back on my Hello. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Richard Mudariki. I always, when I start talking, <laughs> always have this artist disclaimer, which says, <laughs> as a painter, I usually speak visually. So I speak with my painting. So, and I'm usually on my own in the studios, almost eight hours every day, most of the time, alone with my painting. So now coming, putting the paintings behind and looking at people is a very, huge shift, so uh, I'll try my best today to, uh, I usually also don't like to talk about the paintings because paintings have that own visual way of talking. So I will leave that to the paintings to talk. I'll actually talk about my practice more and I think in line with, with the topic we have today. So I was born in Zimbabwe and um, grew up, went to school, and at around the age of 14, when I was trying to, not actually, when I kind of get involved in art making and creation of art, and it focused mostly in painting, was a time in my country where there was a lot of 
uh, social political upheavals in Zimbabwe, um, starting with the land grabs and then the elections and then the fall of the economy and hyperinflation. And, and at that time, I was kind of trying to figure out and trying to find my voice uh, and a way of working. And such um, subject matter was so direct, was available for me. And my only way of responding to it was to comment about it in my paintings. So the paintings then had a bent towards uh, um, politics. So the politics of the country that I was living in. And um, so that environment ex mostly inspired most of my work. My early work was an inspiration from the environment, being living in Harare and Zimbabwe and experiencing all these different changes to a country that was once the breadbasket of uh, Africa. But then it came to also to a point that it actually forced me out of the country as well um, to go to Cape Town where I'm currently living and practicing as an artist because it was just too loud, uh, too noisy for me to focus as a painter. So I actually trained as an archaeologist first um, and then later on decided I, I don't want to dig, <laughs> I want to paint and decided to move to South Africa and Cape Town kind of like became the place where I established my practice. And um, that also, that, that location provided a, a completely new uh, environment for me as an artist and to my practice. Um, in the continent, I think South Africa and most probably Cape Town and Johannesburg have one of the mature art industries and markets uh, in the whole of the continent. And that helped me to now transform myself from being this artist with all this content and trying to present it to, I don't know what you call it, an art market or an art audience, and was successful enough to meet people who uh, encouraged me and were interested in what I was doing, and had five shows uh, during that period in, in Cape Town. And I think that location also helped, uh, what can I say, making myself in a way of, uh, what can I say, making myself professional, if that's the right word. <laughs> because there's all these people who are professional and in the galleries, the curators, the, even the art collectors and, and the journalists, something that lagged a little bit in Zimbabwe and I wasn't exposed to whilst I was trying to, uh, to grow my practice. So Cape Town as a location became a way where it provided an opportunity for me to thrive especially as a painter, because um, that's what I, I was really interested in, in trying to express my expressions in the medium of painting uh, rather than any other uh, art form. So that, so I would say in these two locations, being born, trying to find my way and my voice and my subject matter from Zimbabwe and then moving to, to Cape Town, which was a different environment. Uh, Zimbabwe was kind of, I, I participated actually, because it, 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 there was emotions and all these ideas of what was happening and people complaining and going to the streets sometimes. Um, and then Cape Town, I kind of became more of an observer as well as I observed that kind of environment and also observed from a distance of what was happening in my country and then what was happening in the politics in, in Cape Town as well. Um, and I think last year was quite an interesting um, uh, year for me because I was one of the first artists to have an artist residency at the newly uh, founded Zaid Smoker, 
Museum of Contemporary Art Africa. And like, it was a show about Zimbabwe, which was fascinating that <laughs> it kind of followed me to Cape Town. <laughs> so curated by Tandanzani, like Hama was, who spoke here yesterday. And then the museum invited me to convert one of the galleries in the museum to be my studio for a month. And being in that location, in the building itself, is, it was a fantastic opportunity for me. I really enjoyed my time uh, working. And one thing I think that helped for my practice was that they have these massive walls. And so my studios are a tiny studio at Great More Studios. <laughs> and I had these big white walls, and they said, you can do whatever you want. You can splash paint onto the walls. You can work anywhere. And that was something that um, really helped in the work that I created as well, that it had a Zimbabwean connection, and I was in this location, which was the first museum that focuses on contemporary African art on the continent. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the journey so far. Thank you. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you as well, and then just to anticipate what happens next, I, I would like then to invite each of you first to, if you have any reactions to share or questions to ask each other, I'm gonna let you guys do that. And then after that, we'll just throw it open and, um, and, and, take, it, and take it from there. Um, let's talk about Cape Town for a second. Okay. I, 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 was recently, I was recently there for the first time uh, and it's an interesting place. And, and I, I, I got there after I went straight from Johannesburg, where I was also for, for the first time. And the nature of who I was with and what I was doing in Cape Town and so on, I, I found myself in the presence of a lot of conversations that had to do with, um, well, obviously race and ethnicity because it's South Africa, but blackness, blackness in Cape Town, foreignness in Cape Town, which was very much uh, self-identified by people from elsewhere in South Africa. Uh, as feeling like they were in a very, very different, different place uh, in, in Cape Town. Uh, administratively the same country, but of really a different world. Um, and it also struck me, obviously the, the, you know, these are sort of Cape Town 101 uh, observations. Oh my God, it's like extra, but also the fabric of galleries and alternative spaces and institutions is very strong. because the professionalization yes. that you're talking about. That's true. And it doesn't take long before somebody brings you to a space where very interesting alternative things are happening and black queer folks and other alternative uh, communities are thriving and saying that they actually prefer to be in Cape Town than in Joburg or, you know, East London or wherever, wherever, wherever in, in, uh, in South Africa they came from. And it, in a way, it's a little bit of a, of a hyper-laboratory for a lot of cities, this, this, uh, this issue. We could probably read it here. But I wonder for you, uh, how do you navigate that? Do you hide out in the studio and at the museum and just observe <laughs> from afar? How do you live as a, as a fully constituted human uh, in that particular urban space? Yeah, uh, I always had my uh, friends who always say to get the title Cape Townian is very difficult because people who are born in Cape Town and the only people who are supposed to be called Cape Townian, even if you stay there for 50 years or so, you don't get that title. But for me, yeah, I, um, 
I was so immersed into the artwork right straight from the beginning and I noticed those things and they become the content of my work actually. Uh, so I have an observatorial kind of way that I observe things and try to interpret it and visually talk about it in, in my work. Um, there is, as you're saying, the, the different things with regards to people coming from other parts of uh, Africa and, 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 and coming to, to South Africa. There was in 2008, it was the year that I actually arrived in Cape Town, a lot of homophobic attacks because people thought people from other parts of the continent are coming to take opportunities away, which isn't the case. And there were people who were being attacked and that became the content of some of my work. Um, I think I created about three paintings on that idea. And all the other social political events happening in South Africa, Cape Town as a focal point, but then expanding to the whole of South Africa and Zimbabwe as well, and trying also to go global is something that I, I'm trying to achieve in my practice. Another thing that was interesting was seeing your work, and I recognize the, the, the language, in that big exhibition uh, of 28 or whatever, uh, uh, suddenly it's like, yes. Boom, you go up there and it's like, oh my God, I'm about to learn the work of like 30 people. And it's a lot and, and it's an immersion. But it also, you know, maybe, you know, Zimbabwe is having a moment, right? And, and so how do you, and, and, and I'm sure that, that this notion like, oh, Zimbabwe, blah, 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 blah. There are ebbs and flows and probably right now flows of people coming to be like, oh, Zimbabwe, it's a moment. And, That's you know, true. So, how do you how do you respond to what in there is real enthusiasm and real interest and real curiosity, but also in a way that is productive and maybe even generative for yourself? Yeah, I, I can talk about a little bit about the exhibition actually happening at uh, Zaitsmoka. They've extended it until June, which is exciting. It means more people can see the show. Um, but I think for me, it was a well. Uh, timed exhibition because of what had happened in Zimbabwe the previous year with the, I don't want to call it the fall of Robert Mugabe, but when he were, he resigned. And then we have the artists who have for a long time been commenting about this uh, situation we find ourselves in, in their work and, and was not really shown. And in this exhibition, in an institution that shows artwork professionally happened and then just after this fall of the country. And I had some of my work in that exhibition, which is one of uh, the featured painting in the exhibition called The Passover, which kind of like ask, not the fall of Robert Mugabe, but ask kind of in an artistic way, telling him that the time for him to move on, because I always believe that a leader comes for a certain thing, and then he has to move on and give it to another person. Like Mandela came and stopped apartheid, most probably Robert Mugabe came and stopped colonialism, and he was supposed to move the baton to somebody else, but he kept on for 35 years. So in, 25, in 2011, I did this painting inspired by the uh, Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper, and Mugabe is sitting in the Jesus position, and he has all these world leaders. Yeah. So it was a subtle way of me to say it was time for him to have his last supper and give it the baton to somebody else. So all these comments, and I know there was a lot of other artists who were working on that themes of politics and all the environment that was happening. Uh, and you can see it also in that exhibition, including um, there was one very bad government policy where they destroyed all the 
so like informal trading, because unemployment is actually at 90% in Zimbabwe, and people have their means of survival as being informal employment, and the government destroyed all the um, shacks and everything that they were using to, to sell their products. And there's one artist, Daiken Whaler, he's now based in Australia. Um, he made these massive paintings that are part of the show that commented on this um, kind of uh, event that happened in the country. And amongst from other from the economy to the land to actual politics happening in the country, that exhibition shows to the world what actually happened to Zimbabwe. And it, I was very privileged that the artists were the people who were, were telling these stories and in a more visual and powerful way. I'd like to invite all three of you, if you have uh, any thoughts provoked by this conversation, or if you would like to invite specific uh, uh, thoughts from the room. Wait, I have a question for Richard. Did, did um, you mentioned that that residency was this? Was your studio open to people in the museum, or did you? Ah, yes. No, so <laughs> that was the first question I asked him. Are people going to come to my studio? <laughs> so they say no, no. It was completely out of the public. Only the curators could come. Uh, uh, now and again, and we actually occupy the whole of the third floor of the museum. So there are actually signs which say, no entry, installation, <laughs> artists only, I think, something like that. So we could do whatever we want. Uh, I think the gallery actually produced a, a small video that I think on my website uh, of how I used to work at the other side, and it's a very big space, walking through the whole third floor. And it was fascinating because then that's what later on the exhibition was staged in that third floor, yeah. the place where we created the work. The work was later on shown in it. So it was, it was quite an experience. The floor is open. Uh, questions, comments, feelings, observations, and feel free to tell us who you are when you speak or not if you prefer not to. trying to give everyone else a chance because I can always have the last word and say everything I want, but I'll, I'll start. Um, thank you so much, Nick, but um, without knowing, you know, you were at Great Moor Studios, where Richard, you've worked from, and uh, that's just like really phenomenal. But also thinking about uh, the trajectory of your practices, you know, selfishly as we've been uh, curating the programming, we're looking at you know people in our community who are very interested uh, in what they're doing, but also we know we know the dynamism of the practice. But it's such a gift to see the actual breadth of the work and to hear you talk so astutely about the issues that are in the pieces and uh, lasagna. This work um, that is looking at the idea of currency and what currency means, and currency also in terms of the labor of the immigrant within another space, and what currency that holds for the community back home as well, um, and, and also how that is now being devalued within the, within the conversation abroad or across borders, to be able to support ourselves and support family back home. And then what does that mean, the tensions between uh, who's around you as well? Because as much as we're privileged to move between spaces, Adatha, you uh, mentioned earlier, um, that many of us are operating in this way. 
and um, yeah, what, what are the, the tensions? And I don't know if maybe you guys want to articulate some of that experience, Miata, your family coming from two different uh, spaces in Africa and then moving through the south. You are in a space where there's a huge black population, but not a black African population. And what are, what are you know, those experiences like and how does that uh, come into the work? I, want to, I would like you to also speak about the combi painting. Um, you've got a painting of people crossing the border in a bus. And I thought that well, that's one of the most, um, that's a, a piece of yours I, I won't uh, forget. Okay, well, <clears throat> I'll just respond to the question that you just asked about, you know, what it sort of means to, I mean, for me, your question kind of speaks to this idea of the multiplicity of blackness, which I feel like, Lizanya, you also touched upon in your project in, was that Miami? Or? Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was here, but it's We The News, yeah. Okay. Um, but, and it also goes back to this idea of entanglement, I feel like, in the knots. Um, because, you know, one thing that I'm all, it's funny because I feel like as a black artist, you know, people always expect me to, um, or in a lot of situations I've been sort of expected to talk about my work in relation to blackness. And I don't think that my work necessarily forefronts blackness in um, an obvious way, but my work is very much influenced by who I am, right, obviously. And you know, one thing that I'm always thinking about is, I mean, in relation to this idea of how the self sort of shifts in relation to shifting place, um, how there's not one singular definition of racial identity or of blackness. Um, and, you know, from an early age kind of experiencing different kinds of blackness, different strains of the diaspora, and now being very much interested in this idea of diaspora and in, for a long time for me, um, I thought of diaspora in terms of lack or, you know, thinking about fragmentation, dispersal and something missing, you know, where is home? I have no home. But now it's more in terms of multiplicity, feeling like, oh, actually I have multiple homes and that's a blessing, <laughs> you know? Um, and the more that I'm granted opportunities to travel, the more that I feel like I forge or create, um, am able to cultivate more and more homes. Um, and so that's something that I've been working a lot with, you know, this idea of diaspora as generative, as, you know, a place of possibility, and with the recognition that, um, you know, it's still contested or, you know, movement still has these different histories to it. You know, I couldn't go to Liberia when I was growing up because of the civil war there. It's not like all just romantic, but, you know, still wanting to sort of give space to reflect on, on that multiplicity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting you mentioned, Mianta, the having the American did uh, um, one of the workshops uh, that was part of 200 from Two with Love was, uh, it was an ally workshop and it was really looking again at our different entry points and privilege. Um, and that was kind of like my whole thinking throughout. I feel like, 
people forget the value of the dollar and what does that mean as a currency, right? And um, often and for that workshop specifically, we the conversations that we were having was around having an American passport or not. And what does that mean to be able to have mobility in that space? And um, it was interesting because um, I'm not sure uh, who, if you guys are familiar with Recess, um, but Recess has also a program that is an assembly program and is really um, uh, an artist is collaborating with youths that have been touched by the criminal justice system. And a lot of the youth there um, participate in most of the session uh, workshops. And uh, a lot of the youth in that workshop specifically, they ended up telling me or coming up to me after the workshop and being like, oh my God, you know, I, I've been thinking about the, the things that impact me, but not realize the power I have because I have this American passport. And I think that in, in a way is like looking again at like, how we could look at these differences and create allyship. And yeah, I, I think that currency is something, currency is a concept, right? So it's really hard to materialize or put in, you know, we know that it allows us to buy things, but are we gonna have currency in the future? I don't know. Um, and how currency is gonna become a tool of resistance, probably, I think. Um, so it is like an interesting subject for me to bring everyone into the conversation. Um, you know, like people would come up and in the end we did a performance, I did a performance that was um, people would bring their receipts into the closing party and I was calculating how much rice that could buy in Haiti and I was literally pouring the rice for people and um, I will always remember like a friend of mine that uh, bought like it was like a glass of wine or something and it was $14 and she was like oh my god I can't even believe that and it's like we we take these things for granted you know we don't see how they could impact or what the material value of it is. Um, so yeah, it was, it was around that conversation. Yeah, for, for me talking about, <laughs> about passports and immigration. And uh, it's funny because I did a painting, I think uh, shown in Paris last year, it says Africa is not a country, which is actually the reality because people, when I came to the States in 2016, people were asking me, so how is Africa? I'm like, these uh, 54 nations, I'm come from the southern part of that continent in a country code. So, uh, talking, answering to, to Nancy, the, that painting is actually because of that, that there's actually countries and borders and there's no field of, of movement, which is quite sad a little bit. Um, even though I heard now there's gonna be an African passport, I don't know how soon that is gonna happen. But that painting was because of that, the experiences of people, including myself and fellow artists, moving from Zimbabwe to South Africa, as I said, has a more mature art economy. And the struggles that you face, first just having a Zimbabwean passport is quite difficult because to see that and you're just seen as an immigrant coming into this country to search something, and you're not even seen as a refugee or something, an economic immigrant coming into their country, and it's been very difficult 
for most people to get their papers straight. And so most people are illegal in the country and they have to use other means of getting into the country, which is the result of that painting where people have to bribe immigration officers, have to hide in boxes or in trucks just to cross the border to go to Johannesburg and search for for work and survival. In which back in Zimbabwe, as I say, unemployment is at 90%. Things are really, really tough now, despite even the new government that is uh, in place. So all these elements I observe and speak in this visual language, which is, which is, which is the paintings. And uh, one aspect was also the challenges of moving was also, obviously it's a different environment, different artists, different kind of way of doing things was a challenge of being kind of like accepted also in, in the, that environment, especially in Cape Town. We tried Johannesburg, so I migrated with a fellow artist from Zimbabwe in, in 10 years ago. And Jobek was so different and so intimidating for us that we just decided, okay, let's, let's go try John, uh, Cape Town. And I took the train down to Cape Town, which was much more, uh, I think, uh, in terms of geography, the, the galleries are all similar in, in, a, in, a, in the same space, which is around the city and some of the areas around the city as compared to Jobek, it's more scattered all over the city. And, and then walking to galleries and all these professionals, they really do not know these two young Zimbabwean artists trying, saying we are artists and we are painters. Um, so these are some of kind of like the challenges of that kind of like the location moving between an identities and the different cultures um, that one has to adopt to. And for me, I'm very fortunate that I, they become the content of my work. Yeah, hi, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this, uh, all your presentations. Um, I am really interested, you already touched on this a little bit. I'd love to hear all of your opinions about the idea of art making as homemaking. Um, if you're working between two places, like geographically and psychologically as well, what, how does art function as homemaking if it does? And is it about rooting or is it about connecting um, between places, like laterally, or is it about rooting downwards in some way. So I'm just interested in your relationship between the idea of homemaking, well, making a home for yourself and your art practice. Thank you for that question. Um, it's funny because just the other day I was talking to a friend um, and I was like, home is my studio. My studio is home. And so I don't always have a physical studio. Like right now I don't, for instance. Um, but this idea, you said it exactly, of art making as homemaking is something that's been very resonant for me lately. Um, and also kind of speaks to this idea of, you know, place. Um, I guess like not wanting to privilege physical space over internal or psychological space that they can have. Um, and then this, when you're, I like the image that kind of comes to mind when you talk about rootedness, um, because I've actually been researching redwood trees, um, which, you know, like I spent some time on the west coast uh, of the US, and so we're in, by San Francisco, where there are these like large forests of redwood trees. But they're interesting because they, their roots go down, but they go horizontally as well. And so they have these underground networks of communication where you know they're both rooted in place, but that place is very much connected directly 
to these other trees in these other places. Um, and they like send each other messages underground <laughs> in that way as well. And so I guess I, I'm thinking more and more about like both and, like how can I be both rooted but also connected? Um, and so sometimes, or I guess lately that has more and more come in the form of like the psychological space. But um, yeah, just kind of parsing through that. And I don't think art could do it all. Um, and I think that it's really, for me, I'm just interested in like building the connections both within the community and um, within the ideas and and then hopefully from that grounding and comes as a effect of what has happened, so. I'd like to slide in one question uh, before we finish, which is um, you spoke about, uh, Lisanya, you spoke about uh, going to art school first at an institute in the, in the DR, which looked very pretty, by the way. Amazing. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, um, Richard, did you did you train formally uh, in in Zim? No, I didn't. Where, where where did you train? So I was mentored by Helen Liros, and uh, she started in Europe and mm -hmm. came to Zimbabwe and and had uh -huh. art classes. Yeah, yes. So that was kind of informal training. Yeah. And 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 Miata, you 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 studied in the U.S. Right? Yes, Hunter, so, right here in New York. Okay. <laughs> so so what I what what I wanted to ask is is as we make our connections to places of home to places of relationship, to places of, of professional attachment. Uh, those institutions are there, and, and um, often it's complicated. The, the, there are art schools in those countries, there are uh, people trying to do the work in institutions, in galleries, in spaces, uh, under constraint. And, and sometimes the constraints are bureaucracy, sometimes the constraints are kind of old-fashionedness and not necessarily being connected to things that are happening in the world. Sometimes the constraints are simply money. Um, the constraints are our lack of access and passport and all that that we're talking about. And yet, the more we are in circulation, the more this question of community comes up and how do we make community with those people who are, who are our peers. Like when I, when I go to various, when I go to a country for a chunk of time, I try to have community with arts journalists in, the, in that place, which is complicated because arts journalism is in crisis here, so it's really in crisis in places where, you know, and, and yet one tries. So I, I wonder, just as a last topic, if we could just speak for a moment about how those of us who have this privilege of being right here now um, can work in, you know, within, within our, uh, our practical limitations to help grow community with people who are our peers uh, in places that don't necessarily have those resources available. Should I start? <laughs> um, I, I think this will be the last topic and we'll close. So um, I'm actually going back home in a, in a week or so and I've started to reach out to people that 
So it's, something interesting happened to me. Um, I've been in the U.S. for 14 years, and I feel like I've lost touch with the art community that is making things in the DR right now. And um, and it's I, I've learned that there's something very interesting happening, and people that are not formally trained, like the internet changed a lot of things, I think. Um, so um, I, like, as you said, I try to make connections and try to think of ways that um, I'm talking to someone to potentially thinking through how we can exchange resources um, and how I could potentially share some of the work I'm doing here back home. And I think that that's as much as I've gone to, but just like sharing connections and trying to build community there. Yeah, and I would, I would just jump in as well because um, I work as an educator too and workshop facilitator. And for me, um, you know, this idea of like different kinds of spaces for education is important and um, you know, as I travel, you know, doing workshops or being able to engage in some kind of educational exchange is a way to um, also build community and to sort of share some of the things that I've been able to access through scholarships, <laughs> um, through being trained in more formal institutions. But then also um, I do theater of the oppressed. And so because a lot of my work is performative and thinking about embodiment, I found as well that that's a really, um, rich kind of way to connect with people in different spaces through the language of the body, through um, processing like larger concepts and sort of constructions back through physicality. Um, and that's something that I definitely want to do more of to just also sort of recognize that as a valid sort of knowledge exchange. Mm. Yeah, for me, uh, I would say is my practice, I'm a bit Selfish. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really prefer being on my own in my studio, focusing on my work, and I'd rather have the work connect people, uh, encourage them to discuss, to see things, and have that connection. For me, I, I always want that connection with what I always call creative inspiration. Whilst I'm in my studio on my own, getting into this zone and creating the work, and letting the work be the one that connects people uh, in the community, whether in Africa or internationally. Um, so yeah. Yeah, because the, the first home ultimately is the one we carry around with us wherever, wherever we are. Well, I want to thank you all very much, Lisanya, Miata, Richard. Uh, thank, thank you all for being here. And many thanks to Tinashe and Nancy for putting together a powerful program, which I intend to take in for the rest of today and tomorrow as much as possible. Thank you so Thank much, Siddhartha. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. So it's been such an engaging um, presentation. After this, we have got um, Wura Natasha Ogunji, who is presenting a performance, A Treehouse in the City of Lagoon. She's talking about her community um, in Lagos and really thinking through ideas around space and bringing people together. Later on, we have a panel, Milk and Moon, Black Aesthetics, Essentialism, and Futurism, with a number of artists that are working in new media um, through research-based projects and theater. And I'll be moderating that panel. And then um, at the end, we have 
have an artist book presentation, um, Stali Wolokau Wanambwa and Dirk Fojo, um, and the moderator will be G. Wesley, um, and they'll be speaking about um, artist books from the perspective of the artist. The panel is entitled, To Exhibit Means to Show uh, the Making of an Artist's Book. And also, um, I want to make sure people know that Richard has an artist's book upstairs, limited edition, 100 signed copies in the booth. Please check it out. Um, and also the special project here um, is a really wonderful uh, presentation of work by a Nigerian uh, photographer um, whose all these images are sort of thinking about cinema um, and uh, almost like photo stories, photo um, novella kind of work. And it's really wonderful to be in the setting with everything and all of you. Thank you so much. <laughs>